All right, so I want to start uh, with a little scenario uh, that I want you all to think about. So I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine uh, that you are on trial for treason, for betraying the United States, that you are in that you are in total opposite of that, that you are facing a trial, you are facing a sentence towards that, that by the law's standards, because you have committed treason uh, against the country of the United States, then you are being sentenced to death. But, so the day of the trial comes, judgment day, if you will, comes, and then on that day of judgment, before the gavel hits, before the sentencing is thrown down for the sentence of death, you get a call from the President of the United States. And the President of the United States says, hey, here's what I want to do for you. I know that you've committed treason against this country. I know that you have committed these crimes, but here's what I want to do. I actually want to pardon you of all of your crimes. I want to forgive you of all the crimes against the country. Not only that, I want to go a step further. I I want to reestablish you as a citizen of the United States. In fact, I'm going to go an even further step. Not only am I going to pardon you of your sins, not only am I going to reestablish you as a citizen of the United States, in fact, I actually want you to be a representative of the United States to a foreign country, to represent all of the American ideals and values. Imagine the feeling. How would you feel if this scenario played out? Maybe excited? Maybe relieved? Maybe overjoyed? Uh, imagine this. In, in, a single, in a single moment, in a single moment, you went from being at total odds against the strongest person in the United States to becoming an advocate for that country. And here's the stipulation. He says, okay, I will forgive you of your sins and I will reestablish you as a citizen of this country. But if you decide to receive this offer, that also means you become a representative in a foreign country. So that might sound, that might sound a little odd, but here's, here's the reasoning behind this. It's the exact scenario that plays out with us in a relationship with Christ. Is that, is that we were at odds with the kingdom of God. That we committed high treason. We committed crimes. We committed sins against the kingdom of heaven. And the wages of sin is death, as we saw. So we were deserving of death. But as we saw the first night that Christ pursues us, that Christ breaks through all the barriers, Christ breaks down all the walls, and he offers us salvation. That it is a gift of God. All we must do is receive it. And so here's the beautiful thing. We go from being children of wrath to being children of grace. We're going to being at odds with the kingdom of God to being now citizens of the kingdom of God. And so we receive this gift of salvation. We not only reestablish our citizenship, our citizenship changes. Now we are a citizen of heaven, bound for heaven. But even more than that, something that's attached to that too, is that means now we have become an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven as well. So not only have we become a new creation, not only have we become a follower of Christ, not only have we become a citizen of heaven, but we've now become an ambassador for heaven. 
Think about this. The, the kingdom that we were once at total odds with, we now get to be an advocate for. The one that we were the greatest adversary for, we now get to be an advocate for. But here's the thing. I, I know it's, it's difficult when we try to go back in because now we are to go back into these different parts of just our world and be a representative for Christ in these areas. That God has placed us to be an ambassador in our community, in our schools, in our classrooms, at our jobs, on our sports teams. And that can be a daunting task. As we saw this morning, we fear judgment. We fear lack of knowledge. We feel like we don't know enough. We feel like we might get questions back. We, we might not be able to answer. We feel like we might lose friends. And, and naturally, as fallen sinful human beings, our, our natural desire is to want to just kind of stay comfortable. We, we have the thought of, okay, someone else will do that. That's someone else's task. They're better really gifted in that. But what I want us to see tonight is that, no, like God calls all of us to be an ambassador for him. God calls all of us to be a witness for him. And so just as it is only by his grace that we are saved, and it is only by his grace that we're able to follow after him, it is all by his grace that we're able to be a faithful witness to him as well. Again, Christ is with us every step of the way. And so what we're going to see tonight is, yes, the gospel saves us, as we saw. Yes, the gospel has us following Christ. But what I want to see is the main point is this. The gospel saves us, the gospel sends us, and the gospel supplies us. So the gospel saves us, the gospel sends us, and the gospel supplies us. Meaning that, okay, this gospel message has saved our souls, and now we've been trusted with and are being sent back out into the world that is dying and in need of hope. And not only does it send it back out into the world to tell us about Christ, but he doesn't leave us alone. He's not saying, okay, here you go. You're on your own. He's saying, no, no, no. I'm giving you this, and I'm going with you back into the world to pursue others through you. Which means he's supplying us every step of the way. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. So if you have your copy of God's Word, again, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, looking at verses 17 through 21. So here's what it says. This is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you just so thankful, thankful for just the beautiful truths of the gospel, that Christ pursues us. He has a relentless pursuit of us that, that nothing can stop him. And that when we receive him as Lord and Savior, that you help save our souls and you help follow after Christ. And as we look at tonight, you also send us back out into a world that is in need of hope, that the same gospel message that saves us is the same gospel message we're entrusted with to go back out and proclaim it to others so we can see Christ save others and that they will pursue Christ and that they will go pursue others as well, just as you have us doing. So dear Lord, I just pray that you'll free us of any distractions, that you'll help us just hone into what you have us to learn tonight, Lord. 
Would you help us become even more of the people of God that you've called us to be and even more of the family of God you've called us to be here at Las Casas Baptist Church? All of this is only by your grace. So by your grace, would you just help me preach only your truth, not my opinions? And by your grace, would you just open up our eyes to see this? Would you open up our ears to truly hear from you? Would you open up our minds to truly understand these truths? And would you open up our hearts to receive them and help us live these out? It is only by your grace all of this is possible. And it's in Jesus' holy, precious name we pray. Amen. So like I said, there's three truths that Paul wants us to get out of this passage. And the first one is this, the gospel saves us. The gospel saves us. So look what it says in in the first verse and a half. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so the old, it's what this means, the old has passed away. It's, It's the old regime of the world. Even though it still has power in the world. We talked about that um, the first night, how the world is that philosophy of the world. That yes, that, that old way is passing away and eventually will fully pass away. And yes, it still has power in the world, but the cross of Christ has neutralized that power. Like we said, we saw Christ broke through all of that, that the Christ breaks through all of those barriers. Again, Jesus has broken the chains that the world has on us. In fact, in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, it talks about how Christ became uh, like you and I to help the sons of Abraham, not angels, but the sons and daughters of Abraham, so that in every way we are tempted, he understands. But also he does this so he can break the chains of lifelong slavery that Satan held over us. And he breaks the power of Satan over us, that he breaks this power of the old. He breaks the power of this world over us. He neutralizes it. And we have new life that is found in Christ. That new life is only found in Christ. It's this new life that we talked about last night in Luke 9, 23, that we are daily to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. That we are to surrender everything, abandon everything, and full out pursuit of him. Why? Because he is worth it. That Jesus is better. That I've decided to follow Jesus. So there is no turning back because we view him as greater than anything the world could offer or anything the world could throw at us. And so again, what I want us to understand is that if we are in Christ and a new creation, the gospel saves us. Again, Paul reiterates in the next phrase, in the beginning of verse 18, look at what it says. All this is from God. Okay, so all this is from God. So every aspect of salvation is accomplished by God's divine grace. So every aspect of creation is accomplished by God's divine grace. And that's what we're going to look at for the rest of this passage, that it is by his grace we are saved. It is his grace that he saves our souls. It is by his divine grace that he sends us out into a dying world that needs it, that he freed us from this world, and then he sends us back into this world to tell others about him. And it is by, it is by his divine grace that he supplies us with all that we need to be faithful witnesses to proclaim the gospel to other people. As Ephesians 2, 8 said, that it is a gift from God. As we saw two nights ago, it is a gift from God, that we are saved by grace through faith so that it is not by our own works. It is a total, utter, free gift from God so that no one can boast except in Christ. That's why it is all from Christ. And so if all this is from God, of every aspect of our salvation is from God, then that begs the question, who or what are you boasting in? Are you boasting in yourself or are you boasting in Christ? Are you walking in the newness of Christ 
or the newness of life that Christ has given you? Or are you trying to run back to the old way of living or, or kind of drag your feet and maybe holding on a little bit to the old way of life? Have you, or even the fact, have you been made a new creation in Christ? But again, this newness of life, walking in it, being able to walk in this newness of life, being even able to be made a new creation, all of this is from God. All of this is from God. All this is accomplished by the grace of God. Again, we are saved by the finished work on the cross, not by our good works. We are finished by Christ's finished work on the cross, not by our good works. And so something I want us uh, to look at is, uh, like you said, that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And so what that whole new creation means, what that's talking about, it's, it's twofold. It's not only saying that we are a new creation, like individually we are a new creation, but also on top of that, it's saying that he's trying to reconcile the world as a new creation. So it's an, it's an already happened but not yet happened reality. That yes, we have been saved by Christ and we're going to be part of the new creation, the new heavens and new earth. But that hasn't fully come into existence yet. But we've at least been able to be established in that. And we get to go tell others and have see others be reconciled back to God and become part of this new created order that eventually become fully delivered from sin when Christ returns. Again, all of this is by God. We are reconciled through Christ, as it says. That's why it says in the second half, Verse 18, okay, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So what reconciled means, it means to restore someone to favorable or friendly relations with another after a presumed wrong. And so there was a complete wrong. There was sin that separated us from God. And so because of Christ, he reconciled us back into a right relationship with Christ. That he bridged that gap. That, of course, by, because of our sin, we deserve death. And Jesus took on that death that we deserved. That he paid for the penalty for all of our sins for all of time. And then when he was bodily resurrected out of the grave, it overcame all of sin. And so now we can be reconciled back to God. Um, and so that means all these things that we do, this newness of life we walk in, everything we do from it, our salvation, all of it is only by his grace. Again, there's nothing we can do. There's no amount of good works we can do to save ourselves. Now, I don't have one up here with me, unfortunately, but I want you to imagine that there is, is a power strip in my hand. I don't have one right now, but just imagine for a sec, a power strip in my hand. And imagine I took the end of that power strip and I just plugged it back into the power strip. And I said, all right, it's working. How crazy do I look? Like, how weird does that look? If I'm plugging just the end of a power strip back in itself, you know, you'd say, no, it's, it's not on, right? Okay, but what if, I, what if I plug in a whole bunch of appliances into it? What if I plug in, let's say, a refrigerator to it, because that's pretty large. Let's say I plug in a toaster. Let's say I plug in a microwave. I got all these appliances plugged into it, right? So it looks good. It, it should work, right? No? Why? Because the power strip's still plugged into itself. But I got all these big appliances that are plugged into it, so it should look good. It should work, right? The reason, the reason that sounds so silly, the reason why that doesn't make any sense is, is that's the exact same way it looks like when we try to obtain salvation by our own means. Why? Because that power strip is not plugged in to the ultimate source. That power strip needs to be plugged into an, an ultimate source of power that can naturally fuel and empower those other things plugged into the power strip, like the refrigerator, like the microwave, like the toaster, whatever else you plug in. 
It's the exact same way with our salvation is that we, we try to earn salvation by our own way, that we try to plug into ourselves as our ultimate source of power to try to earn salvation. But that ultimately only leads to nothing happening. Why? Because there's no power. There's no life behind it. No matter, no matter how many, let's say, camps we attend, no matter how many, let's say, prayers we pray, no matter how many VBSs we help out with, it's just like plugging all those things into a power strip that's plugged into itself. There's no power behind it. But when we plug ourselves into the ultimate source, into Christ, then we're able to feel those other parts. Why? Because it's a natural overflow from being plugged into the ultimate source. So we plug ourselves into Christ. The natural overflow is that we want to do these things. The natural overflow is that we do attend camp, that we do help out with VBS, that we do come to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and everything else. Why? Not to like earn more favor, but it's a natural overflow because of the salvation that we've earned only by the grace of Christ. And so it is only by the grace of Christ. It is only because of the, this initiative of God that he came to save us. It is only because of the initiative of God that we can be saved. It is only by the grace of God, that, by God sending Christ to pursue us, to break through all the barriers. And he died on the cross to pay for the penalty for all of our sins, for all of time. And he purchased our salvation. He purchased our salvation for all of those who repent and turn away from their sins and believe in him. Again, all of this is a gift from God. And all we must do is receive it. That is because it is only by the power of the gospel that we are saved, as we saw. It is only by the gospel that we are saved. But Christ doesn't just leave us there. The gospel doesn't just save us. The second point is the gospel sends us. The gospel sends us. The gospel sends us back out. And so again, it doesn't stop at salvation. So let's look at verse 18 again. Okay, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? So Christ reconciled us to himself, that we are brought back into a right relationship with Christ. We have, been, we have received salvation by his grace alone. And now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So we are not only saved by the gospel, we are sent out by the gospel. God, God saves us by this ministry of reconciliation and then turns right around and entrusts us with it to then go out and have this ministry of reconciliation to go tell others about Christ. It, it doesn't just say, okay, you've been saved and then here's just an option for you to do. It doesn't say this is kind of like an extra thing that you might do when you have free time. Just like when, when, God, when Jesus said, go out into all the ends of the earth, it wasn't the great suggestion. It was, it was the great commandment. It was the great commission that we are to go out. That is a command from our Lord. And if we have chosen to follow Christ, and as we saw, if we have surrendered our wills to his, that means our will is to do the will of the Father. And the Father's heart is to restore his creation back to himself. And so the gospel sends us out. We've been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. What a ministry means, it just means a role, especially done in service to others. So it's a, it's a role done in service to others. And so we are doing this ministry to help others point them to Christ, their ultimate need. And so if, if we're being sent back out into the world and we've been given this ministry, then let me ask you this. Do you view your school or your job or your sports teams as a ministry? Because you think God has placed you there to use you that, as, that with that ministry that glorifies God and points people to Christ. 
here's the thing. We are a minister to the world. So it says, okay, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So in Christ, God not only reconciles us to himself, but he's reconciling the world to himself. Basically, the world in this verse means humanity. So it's referring to humanity. So we have a ministry to the world. We have a ministry to the humanity around us. And it's saying that God is not counting humanity's trespasses, not counting their sins against them. So we even talked about that this morning in Psalm 103 where it says, He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. The reason we say east is from the west is because if we say north and south, well, there's a north and south pole, then they'll, they'll meet at some point. But if we say we cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, there is no east pole or west pole or anything else. It says he's been cast out forever and ever and ever. So he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. In Hebrews 10, 17, 18, it says actually he remembers our lawless deeds no more, that there's no longer need for a sin offering because Christ has become the ultimate sin offering. Or in Colossians 2, 12 through 15, that we were dead in our sins. We had this insurmountable debt that we owed to Christ. And it says Christ paid our record of debt in full. That we had this giant legal obligation against us. And Christ moved all that aside by nailing it to the cross. And so again, all of this is only by the grace of God. Again, this only happens to those who repent and believe. All these where God does not count their sins and trespasses against them. It is only for those who repent of those sins and believe in Christ. It is only those who receive this free gift of salvation. We must receive it. Again, we are saved by grace. So we're saved by the grace of God through faith. How through faith is our our response to this initiative that God has had. And so I want us to remember something where it says, all this is from God who through Christ is reconciling the world to himself. I want us to remember who is writing this passage. We got to remember, Paul is writing this passage. Paul is talking about reconciliation. Okay? Remember, Paul is the author of this. Paul, formerly known as Saul. The same Saul, when we look at Acts, is there at the stoning of Stephen. That he's holding people's coats as, as this guy's being stoned for proclaiming Christ. This same Saul who was really going out and breathing threats to people. He was breathing threats to anybody who would call themselves a Christian. Anybody who was a follower of Christ, he was breathing out threats. He was going to all these places and persecuting them. And then Paul had a dramatic experience on the road to Damascus. Christ said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting the church? And and he was transformed. You know what it says in Acts 9? It says, after he was saved, he immediately started going to the temples and proclaiming about Christ. Immediately. Again, this is is the same guy that was going out and killing Christians. And now he is going into these societies, into these synagogues and other places and saying, now I am a Christian. This guy that was one of the greatest adversaries to the gospel became one of the greatest advocates for the gospel. One of these guys that wanted nothing to do with Christ, hated Christ above all else. And then this is the same guy that says, okay, your grace is sufficient. That, that is, everything is, is rubbish and compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul. He was transformed from Saul to Paul by the grace of God. He became an adversary to an advocate by the grace of God. And so that is an encouraging thing that I want us to know this. If God can save Paul, then God can save anyone. If God can save Paul, God can save anyone. So so what I mean by that is those people that you wrote on your devotionals early this morning, those people that God laid on your heart, 
that maybe you feel like he is, they're too far gone from Christ. That they are too far gone. There's no way they can be saved by the gospel. Whether it be that family member that you love so deeply. Whether it be that friend that you interact with on a daily basis. That classmate that you see. That coworker you work alongside. The teammate that you play alongside. You think there's no way they could ever receive Christ. I want us to look at Paul, the one that's writing this. The one that absolutely despised Christ. Became the one that ultimately just desired Christ above all else. And so if God can save Paul, he can save anybody. He can save that family member that you care so deeply about. He can save that friend that you care about so much. He can save them. No one is ever too far gone from the grace of God because it's only by his grace that we are saved, that draws us back home. Uh, But again, it is up to that person to receive it. That person has to receive it. So imagine this. Imagine that you had the cure. You, You made and were able to invent the cure for cancer. How quickly are you to want to go tell other people about that? How quickly are you wanting to, to, to help people? Why? Because you've seen how, how cancer has affected other people. You've seen how it's just devastated families. You say, I, I have the cure. I have what you need. But that person must be the one to receive it. Then we can talk about it all day long. We can try to bring it to them all they want, but it's up to them to receive it. And so the same with us that, that, that we are being sent out and we can tell people all about Christ and it's only by Christ that they're saved and reconciled to receive him, that they must receive Christ. Again, once we have been saved by the ministry of reconciliation, we are then entrusted with that same ministry to go into the world. Once we have been saved by the message of reconciliation, then we are entrusted with the message of reconciliation to go into the world and tell others to be reconciled to God. And so this message, basically the message of reconciliation is just another word for the gospel. That we've been saved by the gospel and now we've been entrusted with the gospel to go tell other people. So here's the thing, okay? If we've been entrusted by this ministry and we've been entrusted by this message, then he explains what that means. Okay, if you've been entrusted by this, then here's what it says in verse 20. Therefore, since you've been entrusted with these things, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, We are ambassadors for Christ. So since we have been saved by Christ and our citizenship has changed, we are no longer living for the world. We are living for heaven. We are living for the new heavens and the new earth that is to come when Christ ultimately delivers all the world from evil and reconciles the world back to himself. We have now become an ambassador for Christ. Think about when we started this pursuit camp. We looked at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Remember when we started? We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins with no hope. We were just following the philosophy of the world. We were being conformed more into the image of Satan, surrendered to hit the powers of evil. And then because of that, we were just given to any kind of temptation. And we were by, the, by nature children of wrath. And we were at odds with God, deserving of judgment, deserving of death because of our sin. But God saved us. Christ pursued us and saved us when he didn't even have to. Christ came and saved his creation. The creator submitted himself to the creation and saved us from ourselves, saved us from incoming judgment. But not only that, he goes a step further. Not only says, am I going to save you? Not only am I going to restore your soul? Not only am I going to give you hope, but I want to display you. I want to use you to go tell other people about Christ, about me, so that way they can be reconciled back to Christ. 
beginning of this, we were at the beginning of this, we were dead in our sins with no hope. And now we have a forever hope. And we actually, not only that, we get to be used by God to go tell other people about this endless hope that they can have too. We get to do that. We get to be an ambassador for Christ. What an ambassador means, it's to act as an authorized representative of one sovereign ruler or country to another. So we are authorized by God and represent him to the world around us. And so here's the thing. We are now representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are representatives of the kingdom of heaven. So again, we're no longer living for the world. We're living for the kingdom of heaven. We are ambassadors for Christ. In fact, I shared this this morning. God knew exactly where we were going to be. That's why it says in Acts 17, 26 to 27, like I said this morning, he would know the allotted periods and where people would be. Meaning God knew exactly where you would be. That out of any point in history that God could have had us be born into or have us living, he has us living in 2020 right now. Out of all places in the entire world that he could have placed us, he placed us right here in Las Casas, Tennessee. Out of all different places he could have placed us, he placed us in the schools we are at, in the neighborhoods we are in, to the schools that we attend. Why? So that we can point others to Christ. In fact, it says in Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But here's the thing in Romans 10, 14 through 15, it says, how will people call on Christ if they have not believed? So how can people believe in Christ if they've never heard about Christ? And how are people to believe in Christ? Again, how are people to believe in Christ if they never hear about him? And how are people to even hear about him? No one ever preaches Christ to them. And how are people to preach Christ to those who haven't heard unless they are sent? Christ sends us to go tell other people about Christ. To go tell other people who might have never heard about Christ. To go tell people that might have never even seen what a Christian looks like. He, he uses us to go tell other people about him. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. Hearing comes from receiving the gospel. And this gospel message saves us and sends us. So again, kind of that analogy I said at the beginning is, again, imagine, like I said, that, that the president of the United States, whoever, whoever it is, that, that the ultimate authority of America authorizes you and sends you out. Because again, the only reason that we were able to be, let's say, saved from that incoming judgment is because of the authority that the president has. And so it's only by the authority of the president that he was, we were able to become an ambassador and that he sends us out. So imagine this, how much of a high honor would it be to be able to be a representative for the United States? They get to represent them. You know, but even greater than that, even greater than the president of the United States, imagine that we get to be a representative for the creator of everything. The creator of all that we see around us, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the savior of our souls, that we get to represent him. We get to represent him only by his authority, that we who are at once with odds, at odds with God, are now being used by God to tell others about him. Others who are at, odd, at odds with God as well. Remember, God doesn't have to use us. He doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us to go tell other people about him. He chooses to use us in his great, grand, redemptive plan. In this giant redemption story that we get to become a part of. The same humans that rebelled against God, he uses to reconcile others to himself. 
And why does he do this? It's all for his glory. That's why when you see all the time with with our church, our Jerusalem, his glory. Why? Because God has divinely placed us here in Las Casas, Tennessee, so that we can bring other people to Christ. Why? Ultimately for his glory. Not our own. Why? Because the only thing we can boast in is Jesus Christ. He's the only one we're going to boast about. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And that's what it says. We are ambassadors for Christ, that God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. And so what is an appeal? An appeal is to ask for, to ask for or request earnestly. So, so what are we requesting? What is this appeal that we're making? He says it in the second half of verse, 20, of verse 20 where it says this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is what we're appealing. This is what we're earnestly requesting and telling people. Hey, be reconciled back to God. We are imploring others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled back to God. What implore means? It means to beg for something that is indispensable or necessary. And what is necessary is the salvation of souls. And this kind of begging, it is not out of desperation. It is out of compassion. In fact, in Matthew 9, 36 through 38, it says, Jesus looked upon the crowds, this giant crowd of people, and he felt compassion for them. For they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And then he looked to his disciples and said, hey, the the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray that God would raise up laborers to go out into this. That we are to see this, that when we go back into our schools, that we look upon the crowds of people at our school and we feel compassion for them. That those are people that are made in the same image of God as we are. Those are people that Christ died for just as much as he did for us. We go into our neighborhoods. We go to our sports teams. We look upon those different crowds and we see, we feel compassion for them. Because again, this gospel message should overwhelm us so much that we can't help but go tell others about Christ. We can't help but beg them to come to Christ. And again, it's not for our sake or for popularity or anything else, but it's for their sake. It's for their sake. It's for the sake of this person's eternal state of their soul. That that, that, that weighs in the balance and that should overwhelm us so much that we were once dead in our sins and now been made alive by grace and now we get to be used by God and live for him and walk in newness of life. We get to tell others about him. That should overwhelm us and overjoy us so much that we can't help but go tell other people about this. Because remember the definition of ministry. It's a role especially done in service to others. This ministry we've been given is to go tell others how they can be saved. That this is the most beneficial for them so they can be reconciled back to a God that they were once at odds with. And we get to be used by God by that. Again, this is all by his grace. But again, I know when we go back into this, it can be tempting. It can be worrisome. It can be daunting to go back into a school, back to this place, and we see all these crowds of people thinking, how in the world am I going to be a witness in this place? You know, what if I'm the only one that represents Christ really all that well? What if I don't know what to say? And and here's the beautiful thing. The gospel not only saves us, the gospel not only sends us, but our last point is the gospel supplies us. The gospel supplies us. Here's what it says in verse 21. It says, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ did this for our sake. He did this for our sake. 
to help us to supply it because he has done all the work. So if he has done all the work to obtain salvation, that means he's giving us all that we need to be able to receive this and go tell others about him. He gives us all this to go tell others about him. Now, something I want us to understand that's very important in this is that it says, okay, he made him to be sin. And so it's easy for us. Okay, did, did Jesus really sin or did, that, did God make Jesus sin? No. What we want to see is this, is Christ was not made a sinner, but he was made a sin offering. So that is very important. He was not made a sinner because if he was truly a sinner, then he could not die for, to pay for the penalty for all of our sins. But he was made a sin offering. He was made a sin offering. Why? To, as an offering from God to appeal all of that, to appeal the wrath of God, that love and justice collides into this, and that he was made a sin offering to pay for the penalty for all of our sins for all of time. To pay for the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, future. For all the times that we sin, we are deserving of death, and Jesus took on that death that we deserved every time we sin, past, present, future. And so here's the God, Christ does not know sin. He was made the perfect lamb sacrifice for the sins of the world. Again, for our sake, he did this so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in him is those who have repented and believed. So Christ has done this. Christ made this sin offering. So he did all of this to save us for those who have repented and believed so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Christ a sin offering, again, to pay for the penalty for all of our sins, for all of time, to be able to reconcile the world back to himself and use the same humanity that rebelled against him to pursue others as Christ pursues us. And because of Christ's sacrifice, we have his righteousness placed on us like a robe. That we have his righteousness covering all of us, covering our sins. And that's what Christ, that's what God sees. He no longer sees our sin. He no longer sees our muck or anything like that. He sees the righteousness of Christ robed and clothing us. And so that's what, and that's what God does. That's what God does to display us as a new creation. That's what God does to display us. That that's how God shows, he shows a transformed life. Why? So we might become the righteousness of God. So, so what that means to become the righteousness of God, it not only means that we are secured forever. So once we have repented and believed in Christ and received the gospel, we are secured forever. All right. So in that moment, we were secured forever. But at the same time with our salvation as well, we get to continually grow and experience this righteousness of God as we grow in our relationship with him. So two fancy words you hear that when we received Christ and we were secured forever, that is what's called justification. Then the moment we were justified by God, that he paid for all that. And then as we now grow and pursue Christ and become more like him, that's what's called sanctification. It's to become more like Christ. So the more we become like Christ, the more we get to experience him, become the righteousness of him. Which means that means God has given us all that we have. So not only has God saved us and he gives us all the grace to pursue after him, but that means we get to experience him more and more and more. And he's given us all that we need to be faithful to him. Again, as I said, all the way back in verse 18, all of this is from God. So what that means is this, is that God provides all we need to be faithful where we are. God provides all that we need to be faithful where we are. Just as Christ stopped at nothing to pursue us. And he provides all that we need to follow him, as we've seen the past two days. Then he will stop at nothing to provide all that we need to tell others about him. 
to tell others about Christ, about how Christ pursues them and how they and how as we pursue others and how we tell others about how Christ pursues them, then that way they can receive this free gift of God, the salvation, and then they will start pursuing him. And then as they start pursuing him, surrendering their wills to him and pursuing him, that means they will naturally go out and pursue others. They'll go pursue others. And then as they pursue others, they'll tell others about how Christ pursues them. And then they'll pursue Christ and they'll pursue others. And on and on and on, the discipleship evangelism circle goes. That's why the shirts are designed the way they are. It's, a, it's an ongoing circle with this. So if we are to go pursue others, let me ask us this. Where has God placed you? Where has God divinely placed you? What school has he placed you at? What job has he placed you at? What team has he placed you on? But even more specifically than that, who is God calling you to pursue after? Who is God calling you to pursue after? That after all this is over, who is God calling you to go tell them about Christ? And know that regardless of all of the fear, regardless of all the doubts you might have, Christ has overcome all of that, and Christ is with you every step of the way so we can pursue others. And all of this is for his glory. That's what all this is. Our salvation of him pursuing us, us pursuing him and us pursuing others. All of it is for his glory. So let's pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for this beautiful message that, that you actually get to use us, that we who once were at odds with you, alienated and wanted nothing to do with you, you now save us. You now save us and reconcile us back to you. And then you now use us. So Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that you will help us, that you will help us be who you have called us to be, that you will help us be the ambassadors for Christ you've called us to be, that we will be representatives in these places, at our schools, in our neighborhoods, our sports teams, our jobs, wherever else, knowing that not only is it by your grace that you pursued us and saved us, not only is it by your grace that we're able to follow after you, but it's only by your grace that we're able to go pursue others and see as they receive you and pursue you and then pursue others. All of it is only by your grace. And we're so thankful for that. So I pray over these next few minutes as we just respond to these truths in song, I pray that this will just lead to life transformation. This won't be something that just stays here as an event, but it'll just be an ongoing lifestyle as we pursue after you. It is only by your grace we're able to do this. So Holy Spirit, would you help us plant these truths in our hearts and help them sprout and grow fruit that is all glorifying to Christ. And it's in Christ's holy, precious name I pray. Amen.